0: Welcome to the Outdoor Feast by Modern Carnivore. If you're new to hunting, fishing, or foraging, we welcome you to the conversation. Get ready for stories and insights that start in the Northeast, but range to the South, Far West, and wide open spaces in between. Now, here's your host, Todd Waldron.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Outdoor Feast podcast. I'm your host, Todd Waldron. Good to be back uh, with me today is my good friend, Mark
0: Norquist. How are you, Mark? Good day, Mr. Waldron. I'm doing very well. It's
1: great to connect. It is October. Uh, You've been really busy. Got a lot of cool things going on. What's happening?
0: Yeah, I'm looking out the window right now, and it is a gorgeous fall day. I went for a walk early this morning. It's just like right at that Tampa where it's comfortable uh dry air leaves are starting to fall but yeah it this is my favorite time of year and it has yeah it has been busy i just got back from north dakota i was out in north dakota uh, hunting ducks with my son and my brothers and uh we had a great time out there uh and now heading into a, a busy schedule we've got a mentored grouse hunt up in northern minnesota here in a couple of weeks uh, we're starting production on a big project that'll that'll uh, take me all around the country doing a lot of upland hunting this fall, which is uh, which is going to be fun.
1: That sounds amazing. I look forward to following um, all your travels and your work and glad you got out uh, duck hunting and uh, you know same over in the northeast, the weather's been great. Uh, it's October. I've been out once so far hunting. I've been busy with work, uh, but my daughter and I went bird hunting, uh, maybe a week or so ago. So it's early season, still a lot of foliage. Um, so, you know, we didn't flush a whole lot of birds, but it was a couple hours well spent and, uh, just really good to be in the woods with her
0: yeah I, I hear you. I was out with my daughter a, a few weeks ago and uh a lot of leaves on the trees so we we jumped uh, several several birds but uh hard to see in the woods and as I'm looking outside right now the wind's blowing pretty hard and the leaves are coming down very quickly at this point so I'm hoping in a couple of weeks when they do when we do that uh, mentored grouse camp that uh that uh, we should have some pretty clear forest for uh, for seeing the birds
1: makes all the difference in the world. (laughs) So, uh, so we've got a really cool podcast coming this week. Uh, so I recently talked with Trevor Hubbs, who is the armed forces, uh, initiative director with backcountry hunters and anglers. And it was a really cool conversation. So, uh, Trevor is an interesting guy He he's a military service member uh, he came on board to build the program with backcountry hunters and anglers uh, there's a high percentage of bha members that are active military and former military service members and so trevor talks about the community around that he talks about some of the events that they're doing Um, He also talks about the, like the reactivation uh, benefit there with that community with, you know, in terms of the R's and R3, um, in terms of like getting people together that, you know, their unique circumstances are such that maybe they grew up in hunting families, uh, but with military service, they're all over the place, right? They're bouncing back and forth. They're here a couple of years and there a couple of years. And so there's some challenges with uh, finding properties and public lands to hunt, and knowing them, and finding people to hunt with because they're so transient at, at times. Uh, so it's a really cool conversation. I, I learned a ton, and I think folks are going to like it.
0: Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear this conversation. I think that idea, like you talk about, of of sort of reengaging or reactivating in, in the hunting world for those who are in the military. It makes sense, um, that, you know, similar to a lot of the data is, is out around, you know, when people who grew up with hunting, but then go away to, to school, uh, they, they, they get away from it a lot of times and then come back to it later. I know that was, you know, my experience of it was difficult to get out on the hunt in the fall when you're, when you're away at school, um, after, uh, you know, or during college or what have you. And I can imagine a lot of similarity with, with those in the armed forces. And, uh, I I'm actually do you see this I'm wearing my my t-shirt my AFI program t-shirt today public lands equal freedom I bought this t-shirt from Trevor last spring at the rendezvous
1: it's looking sharp I need one of those
0: <laughs> You need to get one absolutely <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's it's really cool and you know another thing that I hadn't really thought of but makes sense uh, Trevor talks about uh, the conservation piece around the Armed Forces Initiative. Um, so, you know, with active service members and and former military service members, you know, um, almost culturally um, and through their experiences, they have, they tend to like at a broad stroke of the brush, be kind of mission focused. And so, um, you know, he brings that passion and he talks a little bit about how Armed Forces Initiative members bring that passion to conservation too. And so there's a focus there. It's a real, I had never really thought of that. Uh, makes total sense. And so there's a lot of overlap with the AFI initiatives um, in the public lands conservation piece and what local and state chapters are doing through BHA as well. So that's kind of a cool, interesting angle there.
0: Yeah, that that is. I I know uh, he was going to bring some uh some of those guys and gals uh up up to the Boundary Waters this fall. Did you guys talk about that at all? Is is that trip happening?
1: Yeah, it did happen. It was an amazing trip. He touches on it in the podcast. So I think he had just came back from the Boundary Waters, the paddling experience prior to our conversation so yeah they're they're doing uh you know they had a great trip to the Boundary Waters they've got some great hunts going on all over the country you know they're doing conservation work you can learn more over at BHA's website uh, backcountryhunters.org so it's a really cool initiative Um, I want to give a shout out to my friend Jeff Jones by the way so Jeff um you know is on the national board for BHA he's a good friend of mine. He's a hunting colleague. I've hunted with him out West three or four times and um, he was one of the, you know, the, the instrumental national board members to help this process along as well. So great person. Shout out to you, Jeff, and all the service members out there that are supporting conservation and um, yeah, look forward to this combo.
0: Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear it here. And uh, Jeff Jones, what a leader, man. That guy is is one of the best out there. And uh, it's been fun to see this Armed Forces Initiative really grow at uh, at BHA. So uh, can't wait to hear this conversation with Trevor.
1: All right. So without further ado, uh, Trevor Hubbs, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, Armed Forces Initiative. Trevor Hubbs. Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today?
2: Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate
1: it. It's good to catch up. So as we're rolling this out, it is late September. So best time of the year for folks that love the outdoors. Uh, Have you had a chance to get out much over the
0: last several weeks?
1: Yes. Yes, I have. Uh, It's one of the great parts about the
2: job. And also uh, one of the most stressful parts is uh, if this year goes as planned, I'll have 210 days in a tent. 210 days yeah
1: yeah that's a good time in a tent right that's a lot of weather a lot of nights yep uh so we're going to catch up a little bit then on uh what you've been up to so uh but first let's just talk a little bit about your background and so the purpose of this combo to have fun connect um talk a little bit about arms forces initiative with backcountry hunters and anglers and all the great work that y'all are doing connecting Uh, military service members and veterans to the outdoors, the conservation piece around BHA's mission. Um, How did you get into the outdoors? What's your outdoor journey been like uh, before you came on with AFI?
2: Yeah. I mean, I grew up, uh, grew up a little further South. Uh, Currently I live in Wisconsin, but I grew up in uh, like Southern Missouri, the Ozarks, Uh, spent a little bit of time in Southern Illinois, Uh, was hunting when I was seven years old. I got a one of those Stevens single action 410 shotguns for Christmas. And we started shooting quail and doves and moved up to waterfowl. And then in high school, I did a little bit of work. Uh, I like to say I was a waterfowl guide, but in reality, I was just the kid that managed the Labradors at the local uh, the local club for all the rich folks. And uh, yeah, got into Western hunting a few years ago after I got out of the army just because it made sense. And I finally had some money for the first time in my life so I could afford, you know, the $700 tag. And yeah, I've been doing that for the past couple of years, but uh, I'd say my, my passion, like what I'm always going to do every season is wing shooting, whether that's grouse or quail or waterfowl, like that's got a setter behind me on the couch here, and that's what we do. So
1: That's sweet. How old's your setter?
2: Uh, he's going to be eight in October, so he's getting old.
1: Nice. Nice. And, uh, have you had the chance to get out and do any wing shooting yet? Uh, seasons are just starting to open up. I think Minnesota season just may have opened up last weekend as we're recording this, uh, Wisconsin should be coming soon, right?
2: Yep. I believe Wisconsin is either this weekend or maybe it was even last weekend. Uh, but no, I haven't had the chance. I've watched a lot of birds go by. Uh, we started September. We had a, uh, an armed force initiative camp we call like all of our events camps. Uh, We had one in Colorado around Steamboat Springs targeting bear. And I think I logged about 27 miles in the mountains and just watching what I guess there's spruce grouse out there, maybe even like duskies, just flush at your feet and then walk around the trail in front of you. So I did that for a week. And then last week I was uh, trying to fill my own Wisconsin bear tag and just watching woodcock and grouse come in and out of the
1: trees every day but, uh, no, I haven't gotten on them yet. So, yeah. Same here. I haven't been out yet. I'm planning on, uh, getting over to Maine, probably first week of October. I'll be hunting in Minnesota, um, at an RGS event in mid October. So there's plenty of time to get out. It's the best time of the year. And I got to say, you know, 27 miles in uh, steamboat, Colorado in that country, that's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, that's not flat ground. So
2: good no. for you. Yeah, it was, uh, it it can be a lot easier. We have a a local veteran guide who let us kind of use his base camp, that he uses for his paying clients. And uh, so he sits on top of the mountain at about 10,100 feet, which is really cool because you're not walking up every morning, but that means you are walking up every evening. Like you can only go down from there. So it was uh, a lot of nights just stumbling up the, up the hill at, you know, eight or 9 PM when it's dark. Uh, I remember uh, it says like day four or five, we were down in this gully and, uh, cause we try and like, I try and go with a different like veteran every day to try and make sure like everything's safe. They're learning what they're supposed to learn and stuff. But, uh, I remember seeing this bright light through the trees and I'm looking straight up the hill and I'm like, I'm thinking All right, it's gotta be either another hunter and just like watching me, like, is this guy just watching me struggle up here? So I keep climbing, keep climbing. I'm going like hands and knees, like maybe five feet at a time. And, uh, finally I'm like, Hey, it's going to be a minute if you're waiting on me, like, <laughs> Doesn't answer. Nobody talks back. So I'm just like, all right, I keep climbing, climb a couple more minutes. And I'm just, I think it's got to be the game warden waiting to check my tags or whatever. I'm just like, it might be better if you meet me down here. Like I'm just so out of breath and winded and no answer. I'm like, what is going on here? And I climb for a few more minutes. And I finally figure out that's the moon through the trees. It's not a headlamp at all. Like that's how steep the hill was. It looks like I'm, I'm
1: looking straight up at the moon. <laughs> yeah. How to say Colorado without saying Colorado. Exactly. Right? <laughs> it, was a, it was an adventure for sure. Oh, my, God, that's really cool. Well, let's uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So uh, super excited to have you on the podcast talking about Armed Forces Initiative and, you know, BHA's work around that. Um, so, like, how did you get involved with that? And like, what's the vision and like, how are, like, how are things shaping up? Uh, I mean, things are going really
2: well. Uh, I got involved a couple of years ago. Well, actually let's just start to talk about like the, the start of the program. So in 2018, BHA did their annual membership survey, like they do every year, just general questions to try and understand who their membership is, what their membership cares about. So they can do more of those activities. And, uh, for the first time, they kind of realized that I think it was 14% of backcountry hunters and anglers was either active duty military, a veteran, National Guard, reserves, or a Gold Star family member, like all part of that military community. Now, that's significant because if you look at the general U.S. population, uh, depending on the study you look at, it's between like 4 and 6% is a uh, member of that military community either currently serving or has served. So, started that internal question at BHA of, all right, well, why are we attracting such a higher percentage of this military community. So 2018, uh, 2019, they started really digging into that question and there's a whole litany of answers. Like the first one is you just don't make that much money in the military. Like you can't go buy your own 88 white tail paradise in Missouri, you gotta hunt public land. But I mean, the the larger answer is past 20 years, we've been at war and you do a year of training a year of deployment, a year of rest, and then you get transferred to a new duty station, right? So you grow up at Southern Illinois, Missouri. You get sent to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and now you've got wild hogs and you've got, you know, there's rough grouse in the mountains there, like whole new stuff to hunt and fish you're only a couple hours from the ocean. You could do saltwater fishing for the first time and then three years goes by and you, like me, you don't end up hunting or fishing while you're in because you're just so busy, but now you're stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. Now you have elk. Now you have mountain goats, like all this crazy stuff or like, The biggest thing that I get is guys who got stationed in Alaska for three years and didn't hunt or fish. And it's just interesting. So basically Backcountry Hunters and Anglers focused on – the focus on public lands and that access really appealed to that military community that was constantly moving and forced to use public land. So uh, in 2020, we started the Armed Forces Initiative, uh, which is just our BHA's specific program to target or to serve that kind of veteran military community. Uh, we did one event in Eastern Montana doing a doe, uh, or a B tag mule deer hunt. Uh, we had 18 folks there and, uh, it's just kind of really grown from there. I came on as the operations like volunteer, just trying to run operations, plan camps, get food organized, like beans and bullets, and just making sure people have everything they need. And, uh, then I got put on at staff in 2021 to run the armed forces initiative and, Yeah. Like I said, we've grown from 18 people in
1: 2020. And uh, when I last checked, we're just over 9,800. Wow. 9,800. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then, you know, it started with this survey and this realization that, wow, uh, armed forces service members and military members represent um, proportionately, they're really active in BHA, right? So 14% of BHA members, that's higher than, um, than like, the general population uh, demographics, if you will. And there's this, there's a need and a desire for public lands for a bunch of reasons. So what's driving this perhaps uh, along with the conservation piece is that um, military service members are, are moving around a little bit. So they're getting exposed to different public lands. They're getting exposed to different um, places, but they're not always in like one place to be able to just like, this is my one spot. And I'm familiar with it. We're, we're constantly kind of moving around. Um, And then, so there's opportunities, uh, that surface. And those public lands that you can find just about anywhere in the U.S. Are, are just like great opportunities for access. So I heard you say the access part of it's really um, important as well. Um, what other, are there any other things like that you feel like in terms of um, unique needs or, or opportunities with military service members or AFI supporters and members um, that like, you know, there's a lot of similarities where all public landowners Um, Is there anything else that like has really resonated and that you've learned about over the time you've been working on this where it's like, hey, this is kind of a unique situation to our AFI crowd? I I don't think it's a unique
2: situation Uh, as far as I mean, we get the same things out of public land like veterans get that that all you folks get like you just have been quicker to the draw. Like you you realized it. Uh, Our mutual friend, uh, Jeff Jones, he wrote a great piece. Oh, man, it may have been five years ago now, but I think he called it Bluegill Therapy. Where he's talking about getting back from I think his third time in Iraq or maybe his second time, and he just carried around that two-weight fly rod and cast it for bluegills, and that was and he did that for like three weeks, right? And he's like, That was just a huge piece. And I don't know if it's the fly rod, I don't know if it's just being outdoors, but something about that really helps. And you could go back like so my undergraduate degrees in history and uh like you can look at Teddy Roosevelt making the national park system, and part of that was because he knew the uh the value of these Wild public places. Like he used it after uh, his wife died. He saw the effect it had on some of his soldiers in the Spanish American War and how much how impactful it was for them. Uh, you could even go like there's some great YouTube stuff. Uh, oh man, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the Red Cross in World War One, and they're like teaching uh, what they called then shell shock victims to uh, fly fish, and they're only like 30 miles behind the lines in France, but it's like a six week study. And like at first, guys are just so shaky. You can hardly hold the rod. And then you follow this like YouTube series along. And at the end, they're throwing these beautiful, these beautiful casts. Like there's something about just time outside that has always really worked. I mean, if you read any kind of uh, Hemingway books, which I think we all had to in high school, like that dude's a poster child for like service in World War One, service in the Spanish uh, Civil War, uh, was a reporter, field reporter in World War Two, was in part of like the Greek Revolution or something in between there, like maybe not necessarily a, a soldier, but he saw a ton of like combat just as a reporter. And like, you get to his later works and he's just fishing in the Florida Keys and then he's hunting quail and sharp tails, and like, that's his, his therapy. So there's a long history of this working. And it, it's, it's surprising at how, like, when you look at all these facts, like how obvious it is, like, Hey, I don't know exactly why it works, but it does work.
1: And I don't know why we weren't trying it sooner. Like, I love that Trevor. And, uh, you, you know, Jeff, that bluegill therapy piece he wrote was so good. And uh, I'm so him and I are hunting partners. And we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, him and I met in 2016 at the Missoula, at the Missoula Rendez in, um, in Montana. So it was BHA Rendez April. We just like hit it right off. Uh, him and his brother were there and then we've done a couple of trips together. So we, we hunted elk in Colorado in 2016. In 2017, Jeff was, I think deployed. I think he was in Iraq in 2017. We didn't hunt together that year. And then 2018, we did an elk hunt when he got back in Colorado. Uh, and then the following year we did, uh, uh, pronghorn hunt in Casper, Wyoming. And so nice. he's one of my, I just want to give him a shout out. He's an incredible BHA leader, um, a great conservationist and, uh, one of my favorite people in, in the BHA community oh, among absolutely. a lot of favorite people. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, mm-hmm.
2: he's my go-to guy anytime I need to have like a, uh, any kind of a conversation about BHA or strategy. And I think something like I always let him deliver that message just cause he is such an impactful leader. I'm like, Hey, Jeff, I need you to I need, I need you to go talk to land about something. Cause I'm afraid to, or something like,
1: <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Him, uh, w- I think we're going to try to pull off another Western hunt maybe next year. We'll leave that for another podcast, you know, but him and I have been scheming and talking and gathering points in Wyoming for a while. Nice. So we haven't hunted together in about three years. Uh, the last hunt we did together uh that pronghorn hunt was absolutely amazing um we had a good time we enjoyed it we were successful um it had all the elements of a, of a great experience uh with good friends so he's the kind of person i can't wait to hunt with and uh looking forward to getting back in the woods with him sometime yeah he's a great guy i really I, every conversation i have with him i learned something so definitely yeah. good deal so you've got um so we talked a little bit about the why this is so important. Um, and so, you know, for, for military members, for service members, for veterans, um, for the access to the outdoors, for the experiences that they have, um, for the community around being able to share experiences with like-minded folks that have similar experiences, um, with service and maybe deployments and moving around. And I think there's, uh, just being able to relate to peers is really important. Just as like we're bringing people into conservation and hunting and angling. And it's important for new faces to be able to like relate to other people. I think there's some similarities maybe in this case too, where it's like, Hey, we've got that bond and we've got this 9,800 strong community here um, that's supporting each other. So I think that's really cool. Um, How, how does BHA's mission and vision work out for AFI? What exactly like how are you bringing all this together yeah so it's uh, it's kind of a long term play so
2: i'm going to ask you to stick with me while i go through this cuz it kind of feels like i'm drawing a <laughs> line with these that red twine and just trying to connect these dots but i promise they do go together so string on, it out <laughs> yeah on on each of our events we try and do three things like the first thing is we call it like short term medicine that's just pulling people away from the phone the email everyday life put them in the mountains put them on the prairie or just in the Eastern hardwoods, wherever they are, put them out there for four or five days. And like, all we're focused on is just the woods and hunting or fishing or whatever the task is. Right. And we normally see between like day three and four, it's, I wish I was more eloquent, but just people just start to feel better. Uh, example of that would be, uh, Western Montana. We had a turkey hunt in 2021 and, uh, we had this guy from Indiana, Uh, Had been blown up like four or five times maybe with IEDs, four fused vertebrae replacement, uh, like whatever this bone is, tibula, fibula, I don't know. But part of his arm was like titanium now. Like no reason this guy should feel good. He's on a bunch of like painkillers like all the time, and that's just his normal, right? And he was very concerned. Like I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up these mountains. Like is it worth me coming out? Like just kind of very – worried about it and we kept promising him like hey we're gonna do whatever you can do like if we have to hunt ag fields like then we'll go hunt that hunt ag fields we will find a way to get you some opportunities out here and like we're sleeping on the ground we didn't have a lot of funding back then like you didn't have a heater it was like 20 degrees at night and uh there's no reason this guy should be feeling this good but he's like waking up in the morning he's beating us up the mountain it's just like hey i I'm worried that he's like trying to try too hard cause he doesn't want to fall behind. I'm like, we're going to go at your speed. You could slow down. And he's like, Trevor, I don't know what to tell you. I just feel better out here. Like there's something, there's something to this. Right. So that's that short term medicine piece. Uh, the second thing we try and get out of each event is uh, a tribe or a peer group. And that's uh, where all of our membership comes in handy. Now we're growing so fast. It's uh, no matter where you're at in the country and really no matter where you're stationed, we have clubs on 48 inst- active duty installations now. So like, wherever you go home, like here's a group of people that have the same life experiences you do. And they like to hunt and fish. And that's important because like we have a a little bit of a mantra where it's like, we don't do once, no once in a lifetime trips. Like there's a lot of charities out there that do that. And it's great. Like those are definitely needed, but that's not what we do. This isn't like, let me give one veteran a $20,000 elk hunting experience, or let me take one veteran moose hunting. That's not our goal. Our goal is a lifetime of experiences. So what can you do where you are? Like if you're at Fort Bragg, like, Let's talk about hunting whitetails in the mountains. Let's talk about quail. Let's talk about mountain grouse. Like, what can you do? How do I teach you all the skills to go do this? Not this weekend, maybe next weekend or the next season to where you don't need a nonprofit or something like that to go do it. And the peer group really helps because I can teach you all those skills and then I could send you to another place with a bunch of people that have the same experience and the same desires as you that could teach you even more. Like, that's one of the, the coolest parts that I think BHA just plays into this is, it doesn't matter what part of the country, and when you go to a pint night, like you just immediately make friends, and I don't know how we've done this, like as an organization, like how just automatically everybody like it's hard to say, but everybody's just a good person. Like I was at a pint night in randomly in California, opening Vandenberg Air Force Base, and I drew an antelope tag this year in Wyoming. I've never been there, I've never even driven through the zone, and I uh, just like casually mentioned it. And uh, this guy's like, oh, I hunted there two years ago. Here, let me drop you some points. Like, this is what I would do. This is where I went. This is where I saw them all. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And you get that everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter if you're in New York, Maine, Massachusetts, Florida. It doesn't matter. So, like, that peer group is the big second piece that I think really makes it work. And then the last piece is where we tie it back into uh, you're asking, like, what does BHA get out of this? Like, what BHA gets out of this is this last piece is ideally I've showed you such a great time. On public land whether that's bass fishing whitetail hunting elk hunting doesn't matter you've had a great time out there now you've had a peer group that can continue to show you great times ideally the third piece is creating or igniting that passion and giving these uh these participants a new mission like what's one of the Mm -hmm. things that we don't really talk about that i think uh, is kind of a big factor of like ptsd or not even just the the stressors of going from the military to civilian life is for 22 years you've had a mission Like, you've been at war. Like, I'm 33 years old. I've lived more of my life at war than I have at peace. I was in sixth grade for 9-11, right? Like, so, but every day that you're in the Army, you know, like, all right, this training is going to help save American lives or this, you know, task that we're doing, like, it's all going towards a bigger mission, right? So, the cool thing about conservation, about hunting and fishing is it has that mission kind of built in. If I can ignite that passion in you, if I can give you that new mission of conservation, then we're just creating the next generation of conservation leaders. Now, it may be they just go home and they're passionate and they want to take a couple more of their buddies out. That's how they serve conservation, by making some new hunters and anglers. It may be that they get involved with their local uh, DNR or game agency in whatever state they're from, and they start doing some habitat management or doing trail cleanups with BHA or, or heck, I mean, even building duck boxes with Delta waterfowl. Like, I don't necessarily – care as much what the organization you're going for is i care that you're passionate and you're involved in something so that's what bha gets out of it as we get another generation a new line of these passionate conservation leaders
1: so that's that makes I'm it about. yeah that makes a ton of sense trevor and i really like that that makes it's never clicked with me on the mission part of that But you just laid it out really clearly and the light bulb went off in my mind where it's like, it's a really good fit like for lifestyle as well and just like mindset. And so I'd never thought of
0: that and uh, it's really cool. Hey everyone, just a quick break to tell you about Hunting Coaches by Modern Carnivore. This is a new service we're offering and it pairs perfectly with our online video courses at Hunting Camp Live. With Hunting Coaches, you get one-on-one guidance and support with an experienced hunter from our coaching network. You can ask your coach any question by live video chat. And when you combine this support with one of our online video courses, you'll be on your way to becoming a competent hunter. Right now, you can get a 30-minute session of coaching for free. So head on over to modcarn.com forward slash hunting coaches and grab your free half hour session with one of our network coaches before all the spots are gone. Now back to the podcast. You mentioned that there's like 48,
1: partnerships with like installations. Is that right? Uh, I don't know if it was 48 or not, but how does yeah. that work? Yeah. So, okay.
2: Yeah. So we have members, uh, AFI members, which is just a regular BHA member that is either active duty reserves, National Guard, uh, veteran or Gold Star family. And then um, they're on, we have members on 48 active duty installations. So basically it's, we try to treat it like a, like a club within the state chapter. So like you have the North Carolina state chapter, then they have An AFI club at Fort Bragg. They have an AFI club at Camp Lejeune, and they have an AFI club at one of our newest bases, um, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. So, within those, let's treat it as a regional group or whatever you want to do. But it's part of that state BHA chapter. It's just a separate club just for the AFI AFI folks and. The more that that club and those clubs integrate with the state chapters, the more success we've had. I was at a a really cool event earlier this year. We did a turkey hunt in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, North Carolina, and we have a great AFI leader down there, Marty Bartram. I don't know if you've ever never met him like you really need to just super passionate and super capable. But um, he did this great thing where he has all like we're turkey hunting. He's like he found the best turkey hunters he could in the state, whether they were veterans or not. Right. Which has kind of been. Traditionally, not necessarily a no-no, but we've always tried to be a total only veteran or only military experience. But bringing these uh, civilian experts in was huge because we put each veteran participant with a uh, civilian caller, And just the amount of knowledge being passed back and forth was just incredible to witness because the veterans are picking up so much of this how-to-hunt piece that these civilians are so great at. And the civilians are picking up like just the – whatever you want to call it – dark humor or whatever, like the veterans kind of like that mindset that you build up when you've done, you know, a career's worth of violent things. So now like those veterans go away with two, two, two great lessons, one of how to turkey hunt that they learned, but they also learned like, Hey, maybe what's some things I shouldn't say. For example, when I'm going to a job interview, like what's hilarious and often socially acceptable in a veteran group may not work for a civilian group. And the civilians learned one, what that veteran experience is like, but two, like Hey, when I interview a guy in a month that happens to be a veteran and he seems a little off, he's not off. It's just they have a different culture that they've cultivated. Like, and man, it's just it's a great experience. But um, but yeah, so the closer the states and those AFI clubs can work,
1: uh, the better they are. That makes total sense, and uh, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was on my mind, and I was going to ask you that later. So thanks for explaining that, like how the chapters and the clubs. Work together. It makes total sense, and uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, and like, do you find too? Are there ha- are there any habitat projects on some of those installations? Because I'll tell you what, New York, for instance. I live in northern New York in the Adirondack Mountains. Mm-hmm. We've got six million acres of uh, forest preserve and forever wildland and working forests, and it's wonderful, right? Several thousand ponds and lakes, big big installation, Fort Drum up mm-hmm. in the northwest corner near um, St. Lawrence County. Yeah. so it's, My, sis- my sister's long- stationed there right now. Okay. So I think it, it maybe still is, or at least it used to be home of the 10th Mountain Division. Yep. And, okay. An incredible place, man. Like, so a hundred and some odd thousand acres, and they're doing habitat work. Um, they've got some grouse work that they've done in the past. They've got some woodcock research. I, I want to say there's something like, 70,000 acres of public access. You know, some of it's restricted where they're, mm-hmm. they're training and stuff and you can't hunt there. But still, one of the biggest installations and, and open spaces around, you know, some of the hunting and fishing opportunities in that area. Really cool stuff. And good partners in conservation on the Department of Defense side with some of the stuff yeah. they're doing.
2: It's. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a piece that a lot of people don't realize is the Department of Defense has its own natural resources department within. So every base has a whole team of biologists, archaeologists, everything. And um on the department of defense owned properties 66 endangered species live and that's the only place they live. So like not only do they have their own department of natural resources or game agency like within the department of defense, they're really good at their jobs. They've somehow cultivated a habitat for these 66 endangered species to where that's the only suitable place left in the United States where these things live, whether that's like the burrowing tortoise or, uh, you know, whatever, pick your, pick your poison, the Sonora pronghorn antelope or whatever it is. Like, it's really interesting. And a lot of these bases are public land that are uh, able to hunt. Like some of them are just military. And again, you do have your own set of like hoops to jump through as far as training schedules, which will always be the priority. But, um, You have a ton of public land. One of the things we're doing right now at Fort Bragg, uh, so Fort Bragg is uh, home of the Airborne. They have a ton of drop zones, which is basically like call it this huge open meadow where a unit will drop, you know, 600, 1,200 paratroopers in, and then they'll do a three-week exercise out in the woods, you know, training. So you have to keep these drop zones open. They're basically become like man mandated prairies right so they're great for bobwhite they're great for turkeys and they're great like kind of edge habitat for whitetails they're also provide a super necessary training uh, need for the military so one a couple of them they tend to get overgrown like if you don't manage them like the trees kind of encroach and over 10 years like maybe you have 200 yards less of acceptable drop zone because it's it's closing in so now paratroopers are dropping in the trees and that risks injury which costs the department of defense money it costs like it could cost lives even i mean it's dangerous stuff so what our fort bragg afi club is doing right now is uh they're just going in with hand tools and trimming back all these trees and planting new kind of native uh native plants nail native, native tall grasses for these these habitat places for bobwhite quail for turkeys for everything like that so it's there's a ton of opportunities to meet the needs of the department of defense and natural resources and just hunting interests
1: yeah, that's a good point. So there's a lot of overlap there, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's a safety thing. It's also a habitat thing. Um, one of my good friends lives just up the road from me. He's a phenomenal bird hunter. His name's Mark Warnecki. And uh, I think he's, I, I don't want to misrepresent uh, his rank, but he's retired military. He was a biologist. So he did like okay. a lot of the... Um, what would have been like NEPA work on bases and stuff. So like whatever the equivalent is to environmental impact assessments and planning. Um, So he had lifelong military. I think he was, I think he was a Colonel um, really knowledgeable about bird hunting and habitat and um, did a lot of work on some of the installations and, and some of the projects up here um, like around Fort drum and down in New Jersey and stuff like that. So, Um, that's a really good point that there's like professionals there that a lot of this stuff overlaps where it's like providing an opportunity for conservation engagement for AFI to work on this. It's providing a public safety thing for our service members. It's great habitat, um, makes a lot of sense. Those are cool stories.
2: It's interesting. It's, uh, it's definitely, that's the next step for the AFI is, trying to kind of quantify a lot of this data, like uh, Tim Brass, who's uh, one of the policy leaders at BHA, one of the, I shouldn't say leaders, he's like a director, he's high up, he's he's a big deal. But uh, he asked me the other day, he's like, hey, can you put together like some bullet points for me to talk through some habitat projects? So I just kind of went through the AFI's calendar of events. And in about 15 minutes, I think I had, it was like 11 or 12 like either trail cleanups, garbage uh, cleanups, tree trimmings, like habitat restoration projects. I'm like, oh man, we're actually doing quite a bit of this. I like sent it over to him, and it's uh, it's wild. But again, that just speaks to the growth of AFI. I mean, we're we're gonna pass. My goal for this year was to do six events, and we're gonna pass the hundred event mark by the end of the year.
1: No kidding, a hundred yeah, really.
2: There's a lot of interest and the local, again, it's all with everything with BHA. It's all about the volunteers. Like they're just taking time out of their schedules to knock this stuff out. And it's everything we could do at staff to keep up with them. Like that's the,
1: that's, that's how it's working. So. That's awesome. Keep up the good work. Um, I think I read, or you might've told me that you were up in the boundary lo- waters recently, or maybe there's a group up in the boundary waters. Is that correct?
2: Yep. So we, uh, we try and do. I'm trying to remember what we're calling it. We keep going back and forth on marketing terms. That's the one thing about uh, a community of veterans is we're not good at the marketing terms. Like everything is very blunt, but uh, it's either like a capstone project or a key habitat. I can't remember what we call it. National priority maybe, but essentially one time a year, we want to go somewhere that BHA is designated like a priority landscape or just a super important piece of public lands. And we want to highlight that. So for that uh, that group or that camp, that uh, event, we we bring a film crew, we bring in like biologists and we learn, Hey, why is this place so important? So anyway, for 2022, that was the boundary waters. So we spent, uh, I think it was eight, maybe seven or eight days, uh, in the boundary waters with a group of 18, uh, veterans and canoeing around catching a bunch of fish. We had several hundred plus fish days and just talking about why it's important. What's, uh, what's happening with it and, uh, how you use your voice as a veteran to, uh, to kind of play that game a little bit, because that's, That's the other thing that makes us important to BHA's policy side is it's really hard when you stand up and say, like, as a veteran, I think this for any member, any any publicly elected official to to disagree with you, like in a matter that isn't super like I'm not saying it's right, but when you stand up and say, as a tax attorney, I think this, or you know, as a small business owner, I think this it just doesn't mean as much as when you stand up at one of those public hearings and say, as a veteran, as a father, as a member of the community, I think we should do this. And this is why, like really hard for somebody to kind of snap back at you or
1: just immediately discount what you have to say. So,
2: yeah, so we are just in the
1: boundary waters. Definitely. That's uh, I hear what you're saying about the the credentials and credibility of that with speaking up um, with decision makers and representatives Uh, makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the boundary waters, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, it's like been one of, uh, it's one of the most popular, amazing wilderness areas in the United States. It's like a million acres, I think. It's something Mm -hmm. that Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has been speaking up for for several years as there's been the debate around uh, the mining around the perimeter of that. So really high profile, well-loved kind of place. Uh, Pretty awesome that you could get 18 service members up there experiencing that and connecting with that, um, and uh, being able to, you know, bring that experience home and with them as they work on conservation and community building moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: And it's it's amazing to see the immediate impact. Like we had a uh, a gentleman up at these uh, at the Boundary Waters that. And we, we normally get, you know, 50, 75, maybe 100 applicants for each of these events. And then we have to narrow it down. And I got to be the bad news guy telling people when they didn't make the cut or like we didn't select them, they applied too late or whatever. But uh, we had one guy from Ohio and he was honest on like the first day. He was just like, hey, or and I'm sorry, not Ohio, Michigan, one of those, uh, one of those northern Midwest states. But uh, he's like, hey, I was about ready to cancel my BHA membership, and just not renew it, to be honest with you. I just haven't seen too many events and I haven't like nothing going on in my area. I'm just not seeing what my dollar's going to. And then by day five, like he's joining his state's board. Like he's like, yo, I'm going home. I'm going to get involved. This is a really cool program. Like he's, you kind of, you could directly see that kind of passion reignited there. Like, so it works. It's uh, it's really interesting. So
1: that's something that resonated with him almost Mm -hmm. instantaneously. Right. And when he saw that, that kind of reignited his spark and passion and, Got him excited and got him involved again. That's amazing. That's a really yeah. cool story. Yeah. And we have that on every time. Every
2: two weeks, I'm either getting an email forwarded to me from one of my state leaders on an event that they just had where somebody has a similar experience, or I'm getting an email myself of like, hey, this was really important to me. Like, really appreciate what you're doing. Like it's makes it hard to quit working.
1: Yeah. I hear you loud and clear. And, you know, another event that I saw, I think I saw that y'all are doing like a sharp tail. And prairie chicken event. Is that coming up sometime soon? Um, I believe we just had one. Oh, uh, we have, yeah, we have
2: one, uh, pier national grassland starting tomorrow. Um, uh, so we're like, if you've never been to Pierre national grassland, that's one of my favorite places to hunt one. Cause it's pretty close to when I lived in Missouri, it was close. When I lived in Wisconsin, it's pretty close. Like within 12 hour drive and you just get out there and you just walk forever. Like that was my first kind of, it's not really the West, it's the great plains. But, uh, as my first like Western hunting experience or like if you've got the boot leather, you can just keep going. Like and eventually you'll find birds. You'll there's mule deer, there's antelope, there's everything. There's buffalo. There's really cool stuff out there. But uh yeah, that's that's a passionate
1: place for me that I really enjoy going. So yeah, hopefully they get some birds. Sounds so cool. You know, I gotta say, so when Jeff and I, you know, when we first started hunting together, uh, we're Easterners, right? He lives down in Alabama, he's in Huntsville him and his wife and daughters and so I'm in New York and like a I think a lot of Eastern BHAers, uh you know, when you think about Western hunting, and maybe you've never done it, but you know, that's part of the appeal of getting involved with the BHA community because there's so many cool friends that are out west in Montana and Wyoming. And you go to a ronde and you get to meet all these folks and eventually you want to hunt out west. And so elk hunting is something that's like you know, high on like a lot of people's lists. It was really high on my list. And it was, you know, we, Jeff and I just kind of, uh, we coalesced with that. We both wanted to elk hunt. After doing a couple of elk hunts, we still want to elk hunt, but I can tell you that there's a lot more, opportunity out there than just like climbing up and down those hills elk hunting in southwest Colorado that's hard work and it's rugged and tough um, but what you're talking about with the grasslands the national grasslands the bird hunting opportunities out west um, the pronghorn hunting opportunities uh, it just goes on and on and on and so mm. you, you do not have to go 20 miles into the back country to hunt elk to have a quality western experience whether you're you know, a service member or, you know, a a regular BHA member that just wants to go out and enjoy the West. There's like so much to do and endless opportunities, whether it's bird hunting or, you know, the whole gamut and spectrum right through to, you know, those classic elk hunts.
2: You're you're absolutely correct. Last night we had a, uh, so let me back up. So the, the mission statement, not the I I run something called the commander's intent. So when I was in the military, every operations order has a commander's intent section. So basically what that means is like, the plan goes to hell, uh, commander's dead, first sergeant's dead, nobody knows what's going on, you're split up, this is the bottom line that needs to happen. It's like two sentences or less, like, uh, an example of that, like probably the most famous example would be like the airborne drops on D-Day. Everybody got scattered to the wind, you're dropping, you find like maybe four people that are dressed the same as you, and you pick a mission and go try and Go try and accomplish it, so uh anyway, so I, I run a commander 's intent as necessarily as opposed to a mission statement, so if any of my volunteers, if whatever you 're doing is in line with this commander 's intent you 're not wrong so that that is to instill within the military community a knowledge of conservation practices and theory, a love of wild places, and a desire to elevate america 's public wild lands as a fundamental com- fundamental components of american freedom, right so like that encompasses just all kinds of different events, and one of those events was uh, a guy in Wyoming, he wanted to do a, uh, a point seminar. Like, Hey, I want to talk about Western points and how you can get out there. So did a zoom meeting. Everybody's allowed in, we recorded it. So we're going to share it with everybody. But, um, you have all these folks, like a woman was just stationed in Colorado and she's has researching for about six months, trying and just cannot figure out like Western hunting by herself. And she was, uh, she was about ready to go home to Pennsylvania. And she's like, I think I'm just going to take leave and go hunt whitetails with my dad in Pennsylvania. Like I've always done. And I'm like, if that's what you want to do, feel free to do it. But like, for God's sakes, call me, I'll talk you through Colorado. Like, and by the end of it, she's like, okay, I think I understand like what we can do, like how to get going here. But there's just, it's it's way more complicated. I think than Eastern hunting, there's a 10 different regs for each state and each species has its own thing, but it's not as complicated as it looks like, anybody listen if you want to go out west you just got to do it just buckle down and do it and maybe you don't be successful on your first trip but it doesn't mean the trip wasn't worthwhile wasn't successful like you're a good example we use b tags all the time so in montana b tags either a doe tag or a cow tag for a cow elk tag so they're easier to get they're much cheaper and you can normally get them for the region you want to end up going to So like region you know whatever call it the eastern half of montana i think it's region five and region six and region seven it's like these massive swaths of land. You could pick up either a whitetail tag, a mule deer doe tag, or a cow elk tag all over there pretty simply. And then you just go hunt elk and hunt mule deer. And yeah, you're not coming home with a huge rack, but you're going to see those animals. And in two or three years, when you end up drawing that monster mule deer tag or that bull elk tag, like all of a sudden now you're not coming in cold. Like you have boots on the ground. You have some experience here where you can go call fall back on. So
1: – yeah all of that. Right. And I think, you know, this community is kind of geared toward uh, encouraging new hunters um, or people that are just kind of getting started in their hunting journey, just providing a community and some support for them in their journey um, in a, in a kind of a space that's safe and so forth. And I think, you know, if like you had a good point about the Western hunting and the points and how that can be complex, but for new hunters out there, um, you know, don't get too bogged down. If, if there's an opportunity to go with a friend out West and like, it could be a bird hunt. It could be a bird hunt in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It could be a bird hunt in the Dakotas. It could, you know, start out like something like that. It could be the B tags. Um, so there's just a lot of entry points there, although it's, it definitely feels more technical than Eastern hunting in terms of, um, access to tags. Um, there are a lot of people out there that will help and so like here's an example where bha members um if you're a bha member uh and a new hunter like you had uh we were talking about this where you you know you just run into somebody and they start sharing some information they're very friendly and supportive about a hunt that you were working on you know just one of the many reasons uh why bha is such an awesome community uh one thing i was going to ask is do you find um, so, with the military members and service members in a f i in the new hunting and r three piece um how does that how does that kind of juxtapose in the sense that um are you finding like a lot of military members kind of already had hunting backgrounds and so you know they're coming into a f i with some experience or is there also like an element of of um bringing in people that don't come from hunting communities but are in the military mm-hmm. and that bond? Helps um, like cement a relationship with somebody that does hunt, and so maybe that piques somebody's curiosity around hunting. Um, do Do you have any um, sense, Trevor, for like how that might play out? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great point. Uh, we talk about
2: R three with recruiting, retention, reactivation, right? And recruiting, I think, just gets a ton of attention. It's how do I get new hunters? How do I get these people that have never hunted or never been part of the community into the community? About man, five to ten percent of AFI is the recruiting priests. We just don't run into that many people that haven't ever hunted or w- hadn't been exposed to it. We run into a lot of people who were in for eight years, were in for six years, were in for twenty years, even, and because of the training schedule, like physically, just never had time to go hunt. Right. So it's it's but they hunted growing up. Maybe they know about hunting. So it's a lot about that more recruiting. I'm sorry, not about the recruiting. It's about the reactivation of those hunters and then the retention. So we we call it like we're the, we're R two, like we're not necessarily R three focused. But um, uh, it's interesting. I mean, well, one of the main guys on the advisory board for the national group is a whatever we're calling it now, adult onset hunter or you know late in life hunter, where he just started hunting about five years ago, and uh, got a hold of the AFI program and went on a couple of our trips, and now he's running kind of these major operations stuff for us as a volunteer and he's just super passionate about it so we do get some of the uh recruiting just not as much as uh as our like our bha's r3 program that trey runs where he's primarily focused on these non-traditional groups
1: yeah but and and that reactivation and and retention is hugely important and so bringing people that have a background and a, a, a knowledge so like for instance you know even with the opportunity to to work with local chapters with the AFI clubs, because like, you know, I would say that your experiences in the military, like you, you have a lot of great experiences that can dovetail into keeping people safe in the outdoors, right? You know how to take care of yourselves. You know a lot about How to get around and navigate and um, gun safety and handling and taking care of yourself and not keeping yourself kind of safe and like out of risk and around it and so forth. And so I I would say that there's just like this huge wealth of knowledge there that um, for people that just don't have that outdoor exposure in general. To like, okay, I'm comfortable with this person. This person really knows a lot around how to get um, how to get around the woods, which is important. So, like, I think that yeah. Uh, what were you going to say?
2: Oh, I was to say no. You're you're exactly right. A lot of the uh, like infantry, artillery, cavalry, scouts, like these kind of combat oriented uh, folks in the in the army, marines, navy, air force, whatever. Like they already have all these skills where like hey we're looking at a map we've never been here before we want to know what we're going to do in this area like so if you could teach them like what a elk wallow looks like on a map or what good prairie grass looks like for sharp tails, like they can go ahead and plan a trip with all the skills they have if you just point them to the landmarks that you think are important and then they can learn why those are important and it's uh yeah so you're exactly right
1: a lot of those like base skills are already present Yeah, definitely. So huge, a lot of, a lot of support here uh, for, for great to see the growth in AFI. Uh, How can people find what you're doing? And if there's one thing you want to take away from this conversation for listeners, um, feel free to like, just like lay that out, how people can connect, how they can support what you're doing and like how they can join an event near them sometime in the near future.
2: Yeah. I mean the best, uh, if I was going to just put one piece of advice out there, if you're not a BHA member, go ahead and join BHA. And uh, if you have to, if you're like a super organized person and you have to chalk it up to something, call it a scouting expense because that's what you're going to get out of it. Like military or non-military, um, just join BHA because you're going to get something out of it. Um, if you want to contact the armed forces initiative directly you could just email armed forces at backcountryhunters.org or you can email me uh hubs h-u-b-b-s at backcountryhunters.org it's just my last name um i will warn you if uh, you do the general email address we have an intern and operations staff that will answer you much quicker than i will but every email that gets sent to me i do answer uh, i'm just like i've been in the field for the past two weeks um I'm about to head out again, October 3rd, and I'm not getting back to my house until November 1st. So, uh, like I don't, I actually looking forward, I don't think I have a full week in the office from here through the end of the year. So if you email me, you will get answered, but it won't be fast. Um, if you want to learn about what we're doing, like just go to the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website page. Uh, you can Google BHA and after Boston Housing Authority, we're like the second pop up on Google. So If you look at the top bar, there's a programs and you'll see our like youth program, the collegiate program, uh, hunting for sustainability. And then you have the armed forces initiative, click that, uh, armed Forces initiative button. And you'll see like our vision mission, where we have bases, who our leaders are, everybody's contact info. Uh, and then there's a little events tab where you can click and see all the events we're doing. Um, if you don't have an event in your area, if you don't have a leader in your area, please call me like, let's, let's make one i'm in
1: all right trevor hubs we'll put links in the show notes uh so people can find all the great work you're doing with afi and backcountry hunters and anglers uh good luck this fall and keep in touch and i hope our paths cross sometime soon in the woods Uh, i'd love to share hunt with you sometime and uh we'll have to do this again sometime soon
2: yes sir that'd be great thank you so much for having me i really
1: enjoyed it me too thanks trevor
0: Thanks for listening to the Outdoor Feast podcast. You can check out our other podcast and more at modcarn.com.